we open the Holy Scriptures together to Psalm 88. We will read the entire psalm, and the entire psalm will also be our text. We're going to look at this psalm as a whole. I'm going to start reading with the heading of the psalm. I'll have a few comments to make about the heading. Psalm 88. A song, or psalm, of the sons of Korah, to the chief musician upon Mahalath Lianoth, Moskil, of Heman the Ezrahite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee, incline thine ear unto my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh to the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength, free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave whom thou rememberest no more, and they are cut off from thy hand. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up, and I cannot come forth. Mine eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon thee. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee? Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave? Or thy faithfulness in destruction? Shall thy wonders be known in the dark? and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness. But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me. Thy terrors have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water. They compassed me about together. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me, and mine acquaintance into darkness. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 88 has an uncommonly full heading which gives us a few clues about its author and its purpose. And although the headings that you read above the Psalms are not inspired, they do give helpful information that can give us a few hints at the background of the Psalm. The heading of Psalm 88 begins a song, or a psalm for the sons of Korah to the chief musician. That indicates to us that this was a psalm meant to be used in public worship in the temple, during the Old Testament. The sons of Korah were a college of singers in the temple who participated in the public worship of God. 
to the chief musician upon Mahalath, Lianoth. The exact meaning of those Hebrew words is uncertain. One possible translation would be upon a sickness. The idea being that the psalmist composed this psalm while going through a season of great sickness, and that indeed would fit with the content of the psalm. The other possibility, and in my judgment, the likelier option, is that these are musical terms. Lianoth can mean to humble, and it may refer to a humble or sorrowful mood, which is to characterize the the tone of this psalm, or even the musical accompaniment to the psalm. And that would make sense as well, given the content of this psalm. It's a maskil. A maskil is a psalm intended to instruct. And that gets at what this psalm is about. It's about suffering. And it has instruction for us about suffering. The last interesting part about the heading is the human writer, Heman, the Ezraite. Now, we cannot determine with certainty exactly who this man was. There are a few men by the name of Heman that appear in the Old Testament, and one of those men might be the author of this psalm, but we can only surmise. We can't come down with a rock-solid conclusion. 1 Chronicles 2, verse 6, informs us that Judah's son Zerah had a son whose name was Heman. And the word Ezraite likely connects this man to Judah. Ezraite probably means a descendant of Zerah. And so perhaps the author of this psalm is the grandson of Judah. If that's the case, then this is the oldest psalm in the Bible because it predates even Moses. Another possibility we can read of in 1 Chronicles 25, verse 1, which mentions a certain Heman and his sons whom David had ordained as singers in the tabernacle. Perhaps that's this Heman. But there's a third possibility that we read about in 1 Kings 4, verse 31, which lists Heman as a particularly wise man. In 1 Kings 4, 31, The Bible tells us how wise Solomon is by comparing him to a man named Heman, as well as others who were accounted as wise men, and Solomon was even greater in wisdom than they. That would fit here, in that most of the Psalms, not all of them, but most of them were written during the days of David and Solomon. And if this Heman was a man of wisdom living in the days of Solomon, It would make sense that God would inspire him to write a maskil, a wisdom psalm, for the instruction of God's people. Again, we can only surmise, but the background details are helpful to consider. And of those three options, in my judgment, the one that fits the best is the third. That the Heman who wrote this psalm was a man who perhaps lived in the days of Solomon, a man of wisdom. And that fits in this respect too, because as you read through Psalm 88, you will notice many similarities between Psalm 88 and the book of Job. 
another wisdom book. And it would make sense that this wise man, Heman, would have a particular interest in the wisdom books of the Old Testament, even the book of Job. And also this. It's very evident from Psalm 88 that Heman's experience in life, at least when he wrote this psalm, was very much like Job, suffering. And that gets at what this psalm is all about. Psalm 88 is a psalm of lament. It belongs to a subset of psalms, the psalms of lament. A lament is a cry of the heart in the midst of distress and sorrow, a pouring out of the soul before God. That's what a lament is. And there are many psalms of lament in the Psalter, but Psalm 88 stands out as unique among the psalms of lament. There is no psalm quite so sorrowful as this one. It is the lament of laments. And what's very striking about Psalm 88 is the absence of something that is found in the other psalms of lament. Namely, a turning of sorts. A ray of hope, a conclusion on a positive, hopeful, happy note. We don't find that in Psalm 88. As you read Psalm 88, it is almost unsettling as you follow Heman's words, leading not up, but down, until you arrive at the abrupt last words of the psalm into darkness. Psalm 88 is the prayer of a saint on the brink of despair. It is a cry from the lowest pit. Why is there such a psalm in the Bible? Lord willing, we will see tonight. There's good reason for it. And this psalm is beautiful. A cry from the lowest pit. That's our theme. We're first going to look at the deep distress of the psalmist. That's really what this psalm is. It's a pouring out, a lamentation to God in which the psalmist expresses the deep distress that he experiences. Secondly, we will answer the question, are we left comfortless? And lastly, we will see that Psalm 88 is God's gift to us. From beginning to end, Psalm 88 is a lament, a gut-wrenching lament. It is the outpouring of an afflicted believer's soul, an afflicted believer who is so troubled, who is so deeply distressed that all he can do is cry out to God and say, O oh God of my salvation, and then pour out his soul. The psalm is an ongoing cry of the psalmist from out of the lowest pit. You see that in verses 1 and 2. Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. This is not a one-time prayer. This is something that the psalmist is crying out over and over and over again. 
Let my prayer come before Thee. Incline Thine ear unto my cry. You sense, do you not, the emotion that reverberates in every syllable of the psalmist's words. A big part of a lament is vocalizing suffering. That's what the psalm does. Heman describes in vivid terms what he feels. He pours out his soul to God. Psalm 88 really is the anatomy of the psalmist's agony. Verse 3, My soul is full of troubles. Full to the brim. And as we go on from verse 3, it is as if the dam breaks and his soul erupts as a surging flood of words, a cascade of verse upon verse describing the intense suffering that he has been going through and is still going through. In verses 3-5, through five, the psalmist says that he feels as though he's dying, indeed as if he's already dead. My life draweth nigh unto the grave. He says, I'm a footstep away from the grave. I'm teetering on the edge and looking down. I am accounted at with them that go down into the pit. The idea there is that the inner trouble of his soul became so visible to others that when other people looked at him, they said, there's a man about to die. Just look at him. You can see it written all over his face. You can see it in his body language. I am as a man that hath no strength, he says. He felt like a shadow of his former self, an empty husk, dead and numb on the inside, spent and without strength even for life's ordinary tasks. And so he goes on, I'm free among the dead like the slain that lie in the grave. He's cut loose, he feels, from all that ties a man to this earthly life. He feels like a corpse cast in a pit, like a boat unmoored and adrift upon a stormy sea. And he just keeps going. Verse 6, Thou, Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit in darkness, in the deeps. There's three of the most vivid descriptions for a person's agony of soul. He's reached the limits of human language here to express what he's going through. I'm in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. So low has he gotten in his sorrow, in his perplexity, in his distress, in his suffering. And the psalmist acknowledges that God's hand is in this. Thou hast laid me, he cries. Acknowledging the hand of God. God's hand has put me here. And I don't know how to understand that. He's in the deep night of the soul. From there, his thoughts in verse 7. Go to what is the experience of, of wrath. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. His distress is increased by the feeling that God has turned against him even, and that God is far away from him. 
The psalmist is not making a rash accusation against God here. Rather, the psalm is simply an honest expression of what his soul feels, an honest expression of his distress. He feels like God's wrath is beating against him in one relentless wave after another. This is something he comes back to in verses 16 and 17 because some of the worst suffering a believer can go through is that feeling that God has turned away from him or turned away from her. But along with that, it seems to the psalmist that everyone has turned away from him. Verse 8, thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. And acquaintance here doesn't mean someone you once in a while rub shoulders with. It means those you know, those who are close to you, your friends, your family. In the lowest pit, how helpful it would have been to him to have kind companionship of friends and family to help support him. But Heman was deprived even of this. His friends pull away from him. Perhaps some betrayed him. Perhaps others, like Job's friends, concluded he had done some great sin and that this was all his fault, and so they were miserable comforters, only adding to his affliction. The point is, he became an abomination to them, a horror to them. They pulled back, they withdrew, and Heman was left isolated in his suffering. And what a painful aspect of suffering that is, isolation. How easy it is for that to happen. And how easily we can, even unintentionally, do that to someone who is in the pit. We don't know what to say or what to do around a suffering person. And so we have a tendency to pull back, keep our distance. The visible effects of their suffering, the change in behavior that we see in them is unnerving. We don't know what to do, and so people shrink from them, and the sufferer is left in isolation, only adding to that suffering. That's the psalmist's experience. And as the psalmist continues, he moves from describing his deep distress to voicing questions. Like Jacob, he wrestles with God. He wrestles with the mystery of God's will and purpose for him. Verses 10 and 11. The psalmist begins trying to reason with God. Wilt thou show thy wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee? Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave or thy faithfulness in destruction? The idea here is not that the psalmist is denying eternal life after death or denying the resurrection of the dead, no. The language of Psalm 88 is not the language of precise theology. It's not intended to be. It's the language of the agonized soul. And here we see the logic of the sufferer. This doesn't make sense, Lord. Why hast thou laid me in the lowest pit? What good does this do? What glory does this bring to your name? How is this good for me? Time's running out. I'm dying in the pit. And Lord, if you don't relieve me soon, it will be too late. How will thy name be glorified if I die in the pit? If you will show me your mercy, if you will lift me out of the pit, I will magnify your name before men. I will praise you in the, light, in the land of the living. 
What glory, what praise comes from me going down into the grave? The dead cannot praise you in the land of the living. Help me, Lord. Then verses 13 and 14, the psalmist gets to that vexing question that so many believers wrestle with in times of affliction when they are in the pit. Why? Why? Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? Again, that's what Heman felt in the lowest pit, in the darkness, in the deeps. It felt to him like heaven's floor was made of solid rock, impenetrable to his prayers as he cried out, Day and night. God's way made no sense to him. He could not grasp it. And so in Psalm 88, he echoes his fellow suffering psalmist in Psalm 77, where Asaph said in verse 19, Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Powerful psalm, is it not? The flood of emotion that washes over you as you read it. Every emotion of the sufferer is found and expressed in this psalm. Sadness, crying, pain, numbness, weariness, terror, confusion, loneliness, isolation, guilt, powerlessness, bewilderment, like a knot all tangled together. The psalmist goes from one to another and then back again. The psalm is the portrayal of the downcast soul. It is the anatomy of the soul's agony when in deep distress. What could possibly stand behind these words. What was Heman, the Ezraite, going through that would draw from his heart and his lips such a strong lament as this? There's been many different suggestions. Sickness. We noted that the word lianoth could mean upon a sickness. And some have even suggested that perhaps the psalmist had leprosy that would fit with what verse 8 says, that he became an abomination to his friends and that he is shut up and cannot come out? That's a possibility. Perhaps it was great loss. Perhaps it was great sadness or a calamity in his family. We do not know. And we're not supposed to know. There is an inspired vagueness here. Because it is God's will that this psalm not merely apply to Heman, but apply to his people in their sufferings throughout the ages. And that's part of the beauty of the psalms and of this psalm. The psalms are a mirror of the human soul. In the psalms, we are meant to find ourselves. And as we find ourselves, the psalms direct us and instruct us in our relationship with God and how 
to bring everything to him and how to trust and rely upon him in absolutely everything. For the suffering saint here tonight, this is a word of God designed by God to speak the language of your soul right now. The manifold descriptions of the psalmist's distress, they are something that every one of us here can relate to in one way or another or to one degree or another. Everyone has felt something of what these words expressed. Everyone has uttered a statement like we read here, whether in our hearts or out loud. What have you gone through, beloved? What are you going through now? Such that this psalm resonates. Have you stood at the edge of the pit and looked down, teetering on the edge of the grave? Perhaps you're sliding down right now, you feel. Perhaps you've been in the lowest pit. Perhaps you're there right now so that you read Psalm 88 and you don't need these words to be explained because you know what they mean. They're your words. Because someone you dearly, dearly love has died. And there's a gaping hole in your life and you don't know how it will ever be filled. You're in the lowest pit. Or you're going through depression and you know what Heman is saying when he says, I am a man that hath no strength, free among the dead like the slain that lie in the grave. Perhaps you've suffered horrible evil or terrible sin committed against you. And the effects of that sin are long-lasting. The wounds and the scars are there. And to compound your suffering, it seems like nobody else understands. And people shrink from you. They don't know how to talk to you, and so they run away, and you are left alone in your suffering. And even your acquaintance is put far from you. Maybe it's been one thing after another, back-to-back affliction which has worn you down. Wave after wave so that the psalmist's words, they compassed me about together, make sense to you. Perhaps it's perplexing problems in your family, in your life that fill your soul with so many troubles you feel you're on the verge of breaking down. Maybe you say with the psalmist in verse 15, I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up because of a physical or a mental infirmity that I've borne for years. Let each of us here tonight fill in the blank for ourselves. And let us see this very important truth. Psalm 88 recognizes that reality And that's a very important part of the teaching of this text. Psalm 88 recognizes the reality of the lowest pit. And recognizes that there are times when, yes, believers, when Christians, when Christian families sink down into that lowest pit and distress gets this deep. And that's important to recognize because sometimes in the church, for whatever reason, We think we have to put a face on. 
We think everything should be just dandy in our lives and nothing should be going wrong. And we don't want to let people know about what's going on, the hurt that we're going through, the suffering that we're going through, and so we hide it or we deny it. And we put our masks on. Perhaps we sometimes do that because we we feel if people really know what I'm going through, they're going to look down on me. They're going to despise me. They're going to be like Job's friends and mine through my life looking for the sin that is the cause so that they can rebuke me for it. Whatever the reason may be, this text gives us this this very important instruction. This happens. This is a reality in the life even of believers. The lowest pit. That's not just where unbelievers might find themselves. That's not just where unspiritual people sink. That's where people like Heman can find themselves. And if our earlier suggestion that Heman was a wise man living in Israel in the days of Solomon, that's telling. Heman perhaps lived in Israel's most prosperous time. He was a wise man. He was a spiritual man. And yet this man is in the lowest pit. Earthly prosperity, earthly wealth, the things of this world, they're not a shield. They're not a shield that will keep us from adversity. And even God's people, believers, with spiritual gifts, with the Holy Spirit, who are covered with the blood of Christ, we can slide into pits like this times of great distress and suffering. And the psalm would have us recognize that reality. And recognizing that reality is so very important for the rest of the psalm's instruction so that we may reckon with that reality rightly and bring the Word of God to bear upon that reality powerfully and helpfully. And for our comfort... The lowest pit is a reality. So, left comfortless? Was Heman left comfortless? Does Psalm 88 leave you comfortless? in the face of the reality of the lowest pit. Seemingly so. Seemingly so. You get to the end of the psalm and you ask, where's the comfort? Where's the comfort? To see this point, let's compare Psalm 88 a moment with another psalm of lament. Flip back to Psalm 13 and read it a moment. It's another psalm of lament, much shorter. It's a psalm of lament that David wrote by inspiration when he was in distress, when he was troubled by his enemies and felt forgotten by God. And now as we read Psalm 13 together, let's notice some of the similarities, some of the similar language, the pouring out of the heart before God. Psalm 13. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? 
How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemy say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. There's another gut-wrenching lament from David in the midst of deep distress when you might say David was in a very, very low place, wrestling with God's way and God's will for him. How often does he repeat that question, how long, O Lord? And part of the idea of that question is, Lord, this doesn't make sense to me. Your timing seems so wrong to me. How long must I be afflicted in this way? How long and why? But now, here's what I want to point out. Notice how Psalm 13 concludes. Notice how Psalm 13 ends. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. There is a a beautiful expression of hope at the end of that lament. But now look back at Psalm 88. At the very start of Psalm 88, there is a single ray of light that pierces the dark clouds. The first words of the psalm. O Lord God of my salvation. There's an expression of Heman's heartfelt faith. But as soon as this ray of light has pierced the dark clouds, as it were, the clouds converge again. And as we read on in the psalm, we're looking for those clouds to part, but they don't. In fact, as the verses of lament roll out of Heman's soul, it seems as though the darkness deepens. And so very unlike Psalm 13, the last word of Psalm 88, darkness. That's where it ends. Darkness. The last line of verse 18 can be translated in two ways. It can be translated this way. My companions have become darkness. And the idea of that is the psalmist has become estranged from his companions. They have pulled away from him. And the psalmist felt that. But here's the other way you can translate the last line of verse 18. Darkness is my only companion. The psalmist felt that. He felt that as well. Darkness, it seemed, was the only companion that stuck with him. That's how low, that's how deep the psalmist was in the pit. 
in the lowest pit, in the darkness, in the deeps. He could not see out of that darkness. It was all he could see at that time in his life. And thus it's the last word of the psalm. Darkness. One old commentator said this about the ending of Psalm 88. With this complaint, the harp falls from the poet's hands. He is silent and waits on God that he may solve the riddle of affliction. Left comfortless, at first glance seemingly so, just look where the psalm ends. Darkness. But what we must see is that this psalm leaves no one comfortless. No, the cry of the psalmist is heard. That ray of light at the beginning of the psalm, though we don't see it reappear, Later in the psalm, that ray of light was not done away with. The God of his salvation heard his cry. And that gets to where we find the comfort here. The comfort is not so much found in the words of this psalm. The comfort is found in the fact that Psalm 88 exists. In fact, the comfort comes when we understand God's purpose. That there is no comforting words at the end of this psalm. God inspired this. God meant it to be written this way. God inspired the last word, darkness. God led Heman through that deep distress. God laid him in the lowest pit. That we might have this psalm. The comfort is found in the existence of this psalm. Why? It shows us that God hears even prayers like this. It shows us that even when we are in the lowest pit, in the darkness, in the deeps, and we cannot see out, God has not forsaken us. And God hears the cries that arise from the lowest pit. That's why this psalm is in the Bible. Because this happens sometimes. God's people end up in the lowest pit. And when they're there, and they feel alone, they don't have a song of joy to sing. To use the language of Proverbs 25 verse 20, the singing of songs to a heavy heart is like the loss of a garment in cold weather and vinegar upon nitre. But in the lowest pit, there is still a psalm for you. 
in the lowest pit, there is still a prayer to be prayed, a cry to be raised. And from the lowest pit, that prayer, that cry, is still heard by the God of your salvation. The darkness you cannot see out of, God sees through. The darkness you can't see out of does not hide you from the eyes of the God of your salvation. And even if you may feel utterly alone in the lowest pit, you are not alone. The God who was with Heman in the pit is with you in that pit. The very existence of Psalm 88 is a comfort. And the very fact that there seems to be no comfort in this psalm points us to the comfort. Because even if you get this low, God is still there. And He has not abandoned you. And He will, in His due good timing, lift you up as he did the psalmist. God sustained Heman. This psalm is proof of it. This psalm was written down. And this psalm is given to the church. Psalm 88 is itself the fruit of God's sustaining grace, which is always sufficient. Though the psalmist was on the brink of despair, he does not fall over the brink. God will not let him. Heman's faith became just a sputtering flame in the inky gloom. But God cherished that flame. And God did not suffer the smoking flax to be quenched. He did not suffer Heman's smoking flax to be quenched, and He will not suffer yours to be quenched. Ultimately, the comfort is that this psalm points us to Christ. Points us to Christ who is the only reason that there is any comfort for us as fallen sinners and in a world so full of darkness and affliction, Christ. You look at Psalm 88 and you hear Christ, don't you? The man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, Jesus, who was afflicted and ready to die from His youth up because He came into the world to be our sin-bearing, suffering Savior, and throughout the entirety of His life, He bore the burden of God's holy wrath against our sin. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. You read Psalm 88 and you hear the echoes of Gethsemane. Where Jesus said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. 
And Jesus said to His disciples there in Gethsemane, Tarry ye here and watch with Me. But there in Gethsemane, when Jesus' soul was full of trouble, when His life drew nigh to the grave, when He cried to His Father with outstretched hands, it was then that Jesus' own acquaintance was put far from Him. And Jesus was made an abomination to them. And everyone scattered from Him. And He was left alone in the darkness. We hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. And then, God laid Him in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps, on the cross of Calvary, where God's wrath was hard upon Him, where God's fierce wrath flowed over Him, and God's terrors cut Him off. On the cross, Jesus went into darkness, There, the Father cast off His soul and turned His face against Jesus. And Jesus was cut out of the land of the living. His soul was offered as an atonement for our sins. He descended into the deepest, blackest darkness. The lowest pit. Hell. take your sins, to take my sins, and cast them away from us, and to cast them forever into the depths of the sea, to cast our sins into the land of forgetfulness, to put death in its grave, and to redeem you, and make you his own, and gather you into his sheepfold, and into his family and into everlasting life with God. Jesus, having been the man of sorrows for us, now is and forever shall be the man of comforts, our compassionate high priest touched with every feeling of our infirmity, to whom we can and must always cry. Jesus has redeemed us from The pit of hell. Jesus has redeemed us from utter destruction, perishing under the just wrath of God. Jesus has redeemed us from all evil. He has redeemed us from our sin. Jesus has merited for us everlasting life, everlasting righteousness, a place in God's covenant and kingdom forever. He has saved us from the greatest evil, and He has earned for us the greatest good. That's our rock-solid comfort even in the deepest distress in this life. That's comfort that gets us through the darkest seasons of life. But there's more. The Christ who died for us is the Christ who now intercedes for us. He who gave His life for us rose again and now lives to make intercession for us. A compassionate high priest touched with the feeling of your infirmities and beloved, believe it. No matter how deep the pit is, Jesus gets it. Jesus understands. Jesus has been there. 
Jesus has been lower than you will ever be. He sank himself into the lowest pit of God-forsakenness so that you will never know what that's like. He is there. And He understands. And He will not forsake you. The riddle of adversity may never be unraveled in this life. You might never get a satisfactory answer, humanly speaking, to the question, why? Not on this side of glory. But this is the comfort that sustains in all things. And this is the all-sufficient comfort that we have. We don't need the riddle unraveled. We don't need an answer to the question, why, that satisfies our every human desire. We have Christ. We have the love of God displayed in the cross of Christ and in the empty tomb of Christ. And that is your only comfort in life and in death, your all-sufficient comfort in prosperity and adversity. Yes, even in the lowest pit, that you belong to Him body and soul, and that somehow according to His wisdom, according to His perfect way, all of these things, even the lowest pit, is subservient to your salvation. And even if you don't see it on this side of glory, the day will come when He gets you there. You will see how wonderful was His way. And so lastly, we see that this psalm is a gift to us. Psalm 88 is a gift. It's a gift of God. It's a gift to the downcast. It is a gift to the suffering church. It is a gift to those who are seeking to help and to support someone who is going through great suffering. God inspired this psalm. He gave it to us to use, to read, to pray, to sing. John Calvin said that Psalm 88 is a form for prayer. The idea being that it is a pattern for prayer for the, sore, the sorely afflicted saint to use. Psalm 88 gives voice to the agony of the soul in deep distress. Psalm 88 gives us words to speak in lament. And lament is good. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not being discontent. Yes, we must always be watchful because sin creeps into everything we say and do. Sin lies at the door like a lion ready to pounce. But we must understand it is not sinful in itself to cry out to God and to speak words like we read in Psalm 88. God has given us these words to speak so that we may stretch out our hands and pour out our hearts to Him so that we may use this psalm to weep with those who weep and support our friends, our fellow saints, our family members who are in the pit. Don't shy away from this psalm. Make it your own. Pray it. There's an important application for the afflicted believer this evening. This is your psalm. 
Pray it and keep praying it. Be constant in prayer. Heman, like Job, did not give up. He did not curse God and die and surrender to the darkness, but he did the one thing that he still could and always can. He poured out his soul unto the Lord and cried out to the God of his salvation. Keep praying. Now understand, by saying that, the idea is not that prayer is some sort of equation. If you just get the parts right, the result you want will come out. That's not the case. Prayer isn't some magic formula. If you say the right things, if you pray hard enough, often enough, with enough faith, you're going to get what you want. No. God is sovereign. And God will answer prayer according to His infinite wisdom, according to His eternal plan. And sometimes God's answer is not the answer we're looking for. Sometimes God's answer does not come in the timing that we want. But God's answer is always good. We don't persist in prayer to try to convince God or try to bother Him so much that finally He gives in. We continue in prayer because prayer is the conversation of the believing soul with Father. Prayer is the gift of God by which we are able to unburden our souls and express our grief into the perfect listening ear. Prayer and the Psalms, Psalms like Psalm 88, are designed by God to give a release to the troubled soul. Think about an earthly illustration. When you're going through a hard time, is it not helpful to talk to someone that you love? To just talk about it? It might not fix the problem. That problem might still be there. But the fact that you've talked about it with someone who understands and is compassionate, it unburdens the soul. And that's what a prayer of lament, that's what Psalm 88 did for Heman, and that's what it does for downcast believers yet today. Don't stop talking to your father even when it feels like He's not there, even when it feels like He may have turned His back on you, He hasn't. Remember Christ's cross and the empty tomb. Continue to pour out your soul to Him. Cast your care upon the Lord who cares for you. He cares. And He will care. And He will meet your need. And He will sustain you. Maybe not in the way that you want right now, but He will. For He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask, think, or even imagine. Darkness. That's where the psalm ends. Sometimes it feels that's where it ends for me too. But it's not. It never can be. Darkness is never the last word in the life of the child of God. Darkness is never the last word for those who belong to Jesus. Jesus 
is the last word. Zechariah said of him, He is the one who came to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. People of God, cling to Christ. Hold before your eyes His cross and His empty tomb. Even in the lowest pit, you will say, be able to say, though my flesh and my heart fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this psalm that Thou hast given, a powerful psalm. Use this word to comfort and to assist all of the downcast and the hurting, the distressed in our midst tonight. May it be an encouragement to us all that we have a God and a Savior who will never leave us or forsake us. Truly, we have a refuge in God. Amen.